2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello, and welcome to Saber, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese.
0: And I'm Lauren Volkelbaum, and today we have a special guest on the show for you, a returning friend of the show, Dr. Julia Skinner.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy to have you.
4: Thank you for having me. It's nice to be back.
1: Yes. Yes. If you have listened to our show, you have heard Dr. Julia Skinner before. Um, Tea time. We did something about tea time. We did food waste, and we did a video together with old timey apple pie, <laughs> which was a delight. Oh, it was wow. very tall. Yeah, <laughs> it was quite tall. I mean, it, it tasted delicious, but that was my biggest takeaway. Was this is kind of difficult to eat? <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, it was very like very slow eating pie. It had to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is fine. Which know? is fine. Yeah. Mindful eating. Um, it, it, it was you know the the apples. I really feel like because it incorporates whole apples, and I think that the apples that we were able to source, even the smallest ones, were larger than the intended apple size that we were dealing with. <laughs> um, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. But still delightful.
1: It was. It was delightful. It was, and and it's always delightful to have you on here. Would you mind giving kind of a brief? a brief rundown introduction to our listeners who need a refresher, maybe missed those episodes, go check them out. If you did, uh, just about, about all the amazing things that you've done and
0: who you are. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we usually start these interviews with a, with a solid, like, hi, who are you? Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I'm the author of several food books like you mentioned and the latest being our fermented lives. Um, I also run a food history and fermentation company called Root. And so I do fermentation classes. I do um, in, in-person in workshops. Sometimes a lot of what I do is online. Um, I do consulting for people who want, like, um, a food historian to look at, like, you know, their book manuscript or something and be like, does this sound at all, like, accurate? Um, <laughs> and so that's kind of fun. Um, I do writing coaching I do a bunch of stuff um but yeah I am primarily a food historian and a fermentation enthusiast and yeah that's me
1: yes I mean and obviously that that means you fit right in our wheelhouse (laughs) of both friends and show yes (laughs) (laughs) because we are all about fermentation we're all about food history uh And yes, you wrote a book, and congratulations because it's amazing. Uh, and you sent us copies and it's so good i love it so so much and i as i was reading it i was like why are you so cool <laughs> you know all of these things.
0: <laughs> yeah i was saying i was saying in, in classic move right before we started recording i would like like yeah like i've just been like like taking little little snacks out of it just just like oh oh that's so good oh that one's so good oh thank you yeah yeah so it's been really fun. Oh, well, thank
1: you. Yes,
0: uh, can you can you tell
1: the listeners about the book? Uh, why you want to write it? So why fermentation? All of those things.
4: Yes. So it's I mean the topic is giant, right? It's the global history of fermentation, which is um, a food making practice found in every culture, you know, throughout the world and across you know thousands of years. So the large topic
0: yeah <laughs> no, no, not not a small undertaking <laughs> yeah small we, we undertaking. probably we probably mention fermentation in every episode that we do partially because i love screaming about bacteria poop but also mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. like it's super fascinating
4: yeah yeah it is and it's you know as as i kind of got into fermenting food um you know 10 20 years ago i started trying to look more into the history of it and some uh You know, some books mention some of the history, like it's out there, but it wasn't really all in one place. And I kind of wanted to have a like, what is the comprehensive history of this or as comprehensive as you can get? Um, And so I started diving in and looking and I ended up I initially was going to organize it geographically and. Then what I discovered um, was that there's so much overlap between, obviously, like we're fermenting cabbages, for example, in a bunch of different places. And so it kind of, it would be a really boring book if I'm like, and also here we ferment cabbage. (laughs) 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 People would be like, Uh okay, great. Thank you, Julia. I got it. (laughs) 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 So I ended up organizing it by themes instead so we could... I say, like, why are we fermenting the cabbage? Oh, we're preserving the cabbage. We're adding flavor to the cabbage. We're, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, and that's how it came about.
5: Uh,
0: yeah, it, It's it's such a amazing world when you start digging into it because you're taking what is essentially such a simple process that it it happens without any human intervention at all. And that's probably how we got so many simultaneous little pop-ups of very similar products around the world. But uh, but yeah, I mean, because you're just talking about um, microbes eating your food and then excreting some kind of flavor molecules and uh, something that will usually preserve it in some way like an alcohol or something like that and but like right like like out of that extremely simple definition and, and simplified definition um fermentation can work on food and drinks um on all of these levels both practical and and pleasurable um could you talk a little bit about that
4: yeah i mean i th- you know i think as you were saying that, the thing that came to mind is something that I mentioned in the start of the flavor chapter, which is that, you know, our ancestors had taste buds and flavor preferences and things like us, and I think that we, we, we kind of sometimes assume that they were just all eating, you know, terrible subsistence food that was flavorless, and, and like, it's just not not true. And I think our fermentation traditions we see around the world are a good example of that. Um, Certainly, fermenting adds nutrition to food as well. Um, you know, but there's something like, let's say, West African sour, um, sour grain porridges. Those, um, you know, it's not like you need to preserve the dried grains with fermentation. Like, they're dried grains. They're pretty well preserved.
0: Hmm, <laughs> but, mm-hmm.
4: but, you know, from a nutritional and from a flavor standpoint, um, it really adds a lot. And, um, yeah, it's, I, you know, there's examples like that all over the world
0: yeah that's one of the ones that i I think I only personally keyed into recently um that's that the right so many of these processes are really digging into how to get more nutrients out of those foods that you're trying to prepare and it's just so it's so clever, it's so smart and and amazing that people figure this out,
4: yeah, yeah I feel like it'd be very interesting to kind of watch the process of folks trial and error and kind of you know how long did it take to to do this? Like what, what kind of ends up having the flavor nutrition balance we like what ends up, you know, not working for us.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, I guess kind of along those lines, uh, could you talk a little bit about what fermentation means to you? Because I know that it was kind of a personal journey getting into it.
4: Yeah. So I, um, you know, I always turn to Sander Katz's definition of the transformative action of microbes when I talk about fermentation itself. But I think we have to consider that transformation as a you know, a personal transformation and the transformation of our food. You know, for me making fermented food is very much a you know, kind of a center of oh, I I mean, I don't know if I would call it like my wellness practice, but my sanity. Like,
0: ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is part um, of a wellness practice. That... <laughs> yeah, yeah, being
4: sane feels like a wellness practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I start every day before I do anything else, you know, while I'm making my coffee or doing whatever. Um, I will uh, kind of check on all my ferments and like I begin every day with them. Um, I constantly, you know, I feel like they're always teaching me, like I'm always learning something both about the process of fermentation and about, you know, I mean, other life things that maybe aren't exactly about fermentation itself. Like, for example, being patient. Like, it's not like any of this happens, you know, right then. It's not like you're putting something in a skillet and having it be done 20 minutes later like you were you were on somebody else's timeline and you kind of have to wait for that somebody to decide when they're going to start doing their thing you know and so it's been it's been really powerful in that way um you know and it's also interesting because i started fermenting food when i had you know i didn't have a lot of money but i had like a lot of uh, vegetables in my garden and so it kind of became this practice in like abundance. And so like, when I have like my class that's preserving abundance and when I talk about that idea, like um, that's kind of where that comes from, is that like recognizing how much you have and how much these uh, methods help you capture it.
0: Yeah. And, and it can be um, such a, such a connection point too with, um, with, you know, uh. Your personal ancestors, or uh, for in terms of family recipes, or just in terms of your your human ancestors around the world, because like human history sort of hinges on fermentation. Um, do do you think that there are aspects of that 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 you're just super into that you think that maybe people don't realize?
4: I mean, I think, you know, I mean, at the most basic level, if we look at evolution, I mean, like, what did we evolve from? We all evolved from microbes. I mean, if you go far back enough, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and so it's like we're not only dealing with, like, foods that our ancestors made, our human ancestors, but we're also kind of, in a way, collaborating, you know, with these microbial ancestors, and we're kind of working together in that way. And that's, you know, I mean... A huge oversimplification, and any microbiologist listening are probably like, "That's not exactly correct," but like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, very broad strokes. Like when we think about like microbes that we've had a long relationship with, I mean, the reason why our microbiome is so important to us is because we eventually became the host to these microbes and yeah. still are, and kind of help each other out. Um, you know, and I think too. Um, When we think about that sort of um, ancestry and about you know kind of the impact that this can have on somebody um, and exploring that, I mean something I talk about in the book is making uh, sows, which is this fermented oat um, like porridge situation. And you know it was really interesting because I'd never had it before. I had no idea what it was. I came across it while I was doing research, and I was like, oh, okay, like let's make that thing i tasted it and i was like this is really familiar like i feel like i've been eating this my entire life and i hadn't been and so it's kind of this like and i've talked with people you know who've had that experience with other you know foods that like their ancestors would have eaten but they hadn't eaten um and so that that was also kind of something i found very interesting about it
1: yeah yeah same i mean that was one of the my very favorite things was when you would be talking about like this connection between like fermentation and just how humans work and humans and microbes, how they work together. And I love that kind of sense of place of like wild fermentations. And there's something that's really fascinating to me about like, you can, you can plan things to a degree, but then you're kind of just like, (laughs) let's see what happens based on what's around me and what I can find. And, I love that. Mm-hmm. I find that so so interesting.
4: Yeah, like it decenters us from being like the sole driver of a cooking practice and since we're we're very good at centralizing ourselves. <laughs> so it's kind of refreshing <laughs> to be like forced out of that position.
0: Yeah. It's kind
1: of exciting. Yeah. It's like Ooh, <laughs> let's see what happens. It's
0: like, yeah, no, no, yeasts, y'all take the wheel. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we are ostensibly a food show. Um, but you also talk in the book a lot about um uh, other areas of culture that use fermentation. Uh, can you talk about a few of those?
4: Um, yes. So, like in dying, for example. Um indigo like, dye like like dying
0: like cloth not cloth, like not in like the process <laughs> of death yeah or
4: i mean I like, there's also fermentation connected with that but that's different <laughs>
1: got it
4: <laughs> but, um yes cloth dyeing um or you know making mm-hmm. inks and whatever i mean mm-hmm. there's a lot of um a lot of fermentation used to make say indigo dye um which has You know, a really pretty intense uh, and awful history, Mm -hmm. including here in Georgia, Um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, is still, you know, is one of the ways that we use uh, fermentation in outside of food. Um, You know, and other things like ink making, even non-fermented inks will often use vinegar as a preservative um, when I make... um, Oak gall ink, which is you know those like wasp galls um, on um on oak like oak branches.
0: Oh sure. Uh-huh.
4: Yeah. So you can take that and you take like some other like some iron filings and you like cook it down. It makes this really beautiful um ink, and then you add vinegar to stabilize it or to preserve it. And hmm. yeah, so there's there's a lot of different ways. I mean, the arts and craft stuff is you know one of the things I'm most interested in because. You know, I do a lot of arts and craft stuff um, in my life. (laughs) But yeah, um, but you know, I mean, there's all kinds of like industry applications, and you know, all kinds, you know, we're kind of at this interesting moment where we are both very like returning to these traditional methods, like the stuff I do, where I just like throw stuff in a jar and kind of see what happens. And it's very (laughs) like the most low tech. Um, (laughs) Uh And also at a moment where we have, you know, these like dedicated, you know, biotech companies working on, you know, strains of yeast that will break down this specific thing in this specific way or something.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. All yeah. of these, right, industrial levels of, of either, um, you know, harnessing the power of fermentation to break down pollutants in our environments um, uh, or, or right, to produce uh, products like, um, like flavor molecules or medicines, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it's a really interesting time to kind of have both of those in tandem, you know, having such just so many different ways that we can approach fermentation more than, you know, we've had in the past.
5: Yeah,
0: yeah. And it is so new. I I forget about that all the time. But right, you know, we didn't have a have have like cell theory until what the 1830s. And so yeah. we didn't understand how any of this worked until like Carlsberg uh, labs and stuff like that started working in it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's all all rather new. And yeah, it's but it's very interesting because we had like we had an understanding, obviously, that something was happening. And yeah, like the different ways that we describe, like the unseen forces that are shaping this, you know, over time. um, Like, it's not surprising to me that fermentation becomes uh, the source of so many, like, you know, myths, deity myths, like, you know, all these different, you know, stories that kind of connect it with the divine in some way.
0: We've got more of our conversation with Julia, but first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere
1: you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com.
2: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip
0: And we're back. Thank you, sponsors. And back to the interview. You've been talking a little bit about um the the ways in which some of this historical research um resonates with people and, and how it's resonated with you. Um have there been any any pieces that um that you can share with us that just really you were like, oh, oh
4: I mean, I think that, you know, that Sewins example was a really good, like that was maybe the most like you know, personally kind of profound one. But yeah, I mean, there's something that I I came across um, while doing research for the health chapter was, you know, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, um, humoral theory, like all these different traditional healing modalities around the world that, I mean, explicitly bring in food um, as medicine in a way that, we definitely lost sight of for a long time (laughs) and are starting to maybe think of again, but, you know, but also thinking about, um, individualized medicine, you know, food is medicine and about how flavor can help us kind of strike balance between things and, you know, and sour flavor being one of those things, um, kind of, uh, you know, in Chinese medicine, uh, thinking about, for example, like it being more prominent in the spring, kind of waking your body back up and all of that. Um, so yeah, that was that was something that I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, you know, one of the things was, you know, some of the flavor pairings that we have are based, you know, rooted in this. So, you know, vinegar and pork, lemon and fish, like these sorts of things are actually humoral medicine based and kind of thinking about like, oh, like, of course, like that makes sense because our, you know, all of this informs each other. Like, of course, that would be true. But yeah, it was it was interesting to like see it borne out.
0: Oh yeah, that stuff is so it's so deeply ingrained in our culture um, that that we mostly don't even think about it or talk about it anymore. But it is so fascinating when you dig in. I think that that was one of my favorite weird offshoot episodes where, like, yes, we're ostensibly a food show, but we got to do an episode about humoral medicine, and I was like, eee. yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it's so like there's so much to dive into with it. Like as I, I always, you know, I think when we're growing up and we hear about it, it's like, "Oh, it's that crazy thing they use leeches." And it's like, "Well, yeah, but like there's a lot more."
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some of it some of it does prove out. Maybe yeah. not the leeches, but not yeah. The leeches probably, not the leeches, yeah. no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I I guess sort of speaking of, do you do you have any like super favorite weird historical sources because you you do like like as a historian you get to go into some weird collections and Mm -hmm. look at some of these uh original sources do you have any favorite ones
4: i mean i really like i like just going in and you know kind of like when you're playing in the kitchen like you know kind of allowing yourself to be surprised and allowing yourself to have you know that serendipity um i the like the first collection that i worked with uh that was a culinary history collection is at the University of Iowa um and if you have any listeners in Iowa who you know ever go to the Savmari collection they'll know what I'm talking about it's really very cool um lots of old um old books and then lots of other things as well and yeah it was very uh, very fun uh to go in there and that's you know that's where i found the first old cookbook that i ever started working with you know years and years and years ago um the one that the the tall pie is from <laughs> 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 All comes full circle. Always Hence comes back forth to the pot. Yeah,
1: <laughs> tall pie <Love>
0: <laughs> Sounds about right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we pie. we do we do always love finding and, and and reading out. I think that's one of Annie's personal specialties is reading out uh, old timey recipes that are in a version of English that no longer really exists.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the format of them too. I mean, it's so interesting to read them and have like, try to translate them for modern cooks, that's, that's always kind of an interesting, uh, interesting feat.
1: Yeah, I feel like usually I do really well until I get to the last sentence. For some reason, the last (laughs) sentence is always where I'm like, what are you talking
4: about? (laughs) Well, I feel like the last sentence in a lot of those, like, it, it's just like all the information is already pretty condensed. And then it's like, it just like, is an extra condensed? It's like, Okay, now put this over a fire for five days and then, like, you know, and store it in the usual way. And you're like, what does that mean?
0: What's the usual way? (laughs) What kind of
1: fire? Yeah, like, how big is the fire? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Exactly. My landlord's
0: going to be mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't
1: even
5: have a fireplace. I don't. (laughs) Right.
0: Does a Yankee candle count?
4: What's going
3: on?
0: <laughs> well, it was
1: interesting because we joke, you know, we are ostensibly a food show. We are. So many things come up. We see so many trends that come up. Um, fermentation is always one. But when the story you told that I it was like, oh, yeah, was the friendship bread uh, and kind of how you got into fermentation around that. And it because of the pandemic and so many people were doing like sourdough bread it just made me think about that but just like all of these examples of things that we might not consider at first that fermentation is involved in but it is and then something like that like I did that in college too and it was so kind of like oh somebody gave this to me it's like a pet yeah. like, you're like okay yeah. we're gonna get through this together and then we're all gonna enjoy this <laughs> like, get that at the end uh, which I love because I think like you did such a good job of illustrating that point and which is one we try to make often in the show is like you're talking about fermentation, but you're talking about so much more. You're talking about friendship bread. Mm-hmm. Like the name is friendship <laughs> bread. <laughs> I just I loved it. I loved it. Um, and And kind of related to that, you had a lot in there about, you know, communities and being respectful of communities and fermentation and things like food insecurity and waste Mm -hmm. and how fermentation can play such a huge role in that can you talk about that for a little bit
4: yeah yeah so um in a lot of my classes and in my life and obviously also in this book um I talk a lot about food waste and reducing food waste um fermentation is a really powerful way to do that um because it allows us to change the flavor and texture of whatever various scraps um, but it can also be a good jumping off point as well so one example I often give is using things like herb stems and putting them in vinegar and then you have it's like okay well now you have a flavored vinegar um, and you didn't throw all that stuff away you know and you can you can take fermented things that you make and if you like the flavor and don't like the texture you know you can put it in a dehydrator and dry it and like then you can still use it in some other way. But yeah, I, I like using fermentation uh, as a food waste reducing method for a couple ways or a couple reasons, you know, one, like I just said, the flavor component and another being that it's really accessible. You know, I'm, I'm able to do something like go and teach a class in a community garden and people with very limited resources, you know, can probably track down a jar and some salt and, um, you know, we can kind of go from there, you know, it's, and it's something that is very nourishing. It's something healthy and it's something that, you know, especially if we're talking about food in secure areas where people have limited access to fresh food and want to stretch that food, you know, I mean, if you're not giving people, if people don't have the ability to, um, to access, uh, probiotic food and maybe don't know how to make probiotic food, you know, I mean, I I don't want to say like probiotic food is a panacea because nothing is, but it certainly is important for our health and you know, can be a good way to empower folks. And you know, and again, it's affordable and you know, really customizable, really versatile. Um it's something I think we really we could handle to tap into more as cooks when we think about being a little gentler on the earth with our uh, our practices.
1: Yeah. And I I talk about this a lot on the show. I I live by myself. I'm somebody who's very particular about leftovers and waste. Lauren and I just talked about this. Mm-hmm. And so when I was reading your book, it's so helpful because not only does it have like all these cool like historical facts and the history, but you have recipes. You have recipes throughout of how to put this into practice that are helpful, accessible. Pretty easy, and there were so many ingredients where I was like, I'm trying to find a way to use this up. And you had a recipe in there, and I was like, Ah, the tomato paste. This is what I will do with it. Uh-huh. Did you try like all of those recipes? Have you tried all of
4: them? Oh yeah, no. It's well, and it's interesting because yeah. I started. So I, was, I wrote the bulk of this book. I had gotten the contract before lockdown, but the bulk of this book happened kind of during um, 2020, and so. I had written; I'd probably written about half of it by lockdown. And I was like, "Okay, it's time to like start writing and testing the recipes," as all of our grocery stores were yeah. having shortages, and you know, everything was chaos, and you know, and so it was very interesting because I try to cook in a very, you know, waste-reducing way, anyways, but I kind of had no choice. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There were recipes that I wanted to make that just like I was like, "Well, that's not." you know, that's not going to happen. I was going to try to, I can't remember what I was going to make. There was like a fish thing I was going to make and just nowhere had the kind of fish I wanted. So I was like, oh, never mind.
0: Yep. Not that <laughs> one. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Not that one. But mm. you know, and I, I mean, I don't do a ton of ton of meat fermentation anyways, but um, so it was fine. But like, I'm looking at, I like wrote a little list of all of the recipes um, no. for easy reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, a lot of these are ones, I mean, that are both, you know, both standard in my in my kitchen practice, and also, you know, things like uh, the banana vinegar, I mean, it's kind of one of my go-to uh, waste-reducing things, because, like, I... I always, I always assume I'm going to eat a lot more bananas than I do. Like every time I buy bananas, I'm like, I'm going to have a banana every day this week. Well, no, you're not, because they're going to be like inedibly mealy after like three days, and they're going to be mushy and terrible, and you're not going to want them. <laughs> so, like... mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and so, then I make vinegar out of them.
0: Instead. Yeah. Oh, that is that is always the the produce thing. I I have such a hard time with that. It's and we 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 talk about that on the show sometimes. I think most recently in our pears episode, where I'm like, oh man, I I have these really well intentioned pears <laughs> sitting in my kitchen, <laughs> but I'm not going to remember to to check them when they're probably going to be ripe, and then they're not going to be good after that. And so right. yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. No, and I I do with, you know, I also live alone and have, I I tend to buy a lot of produce. And then I'm like, oh, but it's just me here. (laughs) like What did did I do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I do a lot of just like, oh, crap, I've got to pickle that, like, now um, projects. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that way if I, like, go out of town or whatever, you know, it'll still be fine when I get back.
1: Yeah, I mean, the pandemic... I I joked about it a lot on the show. For me, it's not quite the same. But I did have to get pretty creative. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I have this. This is what I have. I can't find anything else. Let's see what I can do. Uh, And I do really like that aspect of it. Um, And there's something about reading your book where, I don't know, there was just something powerful about knowing we've been doing that forever. Like, even though it looks slightly different now, Mm -hmm. we've been doing that forever and like you having that moment of you know with the soans yeah is it called? and you're like oh i'm connecting to this even though i don't really have a particular like memory with it mm-hmm. um and you say in there you talk a lot about about like fermentation as a community um both within like your body but within the community mm-hmm. but you also say like you're looking for big conversations uh with this if you could expound on that point for a minute
4: yeah i mean i think you know fermentation like we've talked about touches on so much, you know, I think the food waste is a good place to jump off because it's a reminder of that we, you know, it's not like we've had supermarkets for really most of history and we've just had a very different relationship to eating. And a lot of the foods that we consider to be kind of staple foods in a lot of our diets were developed based on that. And, you know, like, the boxed mac and cheese, canned soup, you know, whatever, whatever, is like a much more recent phenomenon, you know, a modernization of those things. Yeah. And so, you know, I think one of the conversations I enjoy having is about this sort of like the power of using these traditional foods in our, you know, in our kitchens and making them and interacting with them. And, you know, and I was talking about the personal journey of this and how that, I've connected so much with so many other parts of my life and interests through doing this, you know, and one thing I think about a lot is community. And so, um, you know, with community, when we're making a traditional food, um, in a group, which is in a lot of, um, a lot of places over time, you know, it still sometimes happens today. You'll have big, like sauerkraut making parties, kimchi making parties, you know, Um, sometimes people get together and have like homebrewing days like you know whatever but it's like you're making you're making this thing that both brings your community together once during the making and you get to catch up and all this good stuff but you're also providing your community food security in the future and so you're caring for your community in kind of this long-term holistic way um, that I think is outside of what um, you know just like when we talk about like food and community and it kind of often becomes like this kind of pithy statement that it's like, Oh, like food brings people together. And it's like, okay, well, what does that mean now? (laughs) Like, how does it bring people together? (laughs) You know? And I think this, this book was nice. The community chapter was nice because I got to like dive into that and be like, okay, like, how does it do that? Um, And that, you know, that sort of gathering and that sort of like intergenerational knowledge sharing, you know, something I talk a lot about in there is about the preservation of um, of culinary knowledge, of fermentation knowledge in particular. The, you know, we're talking about techniques that are primarily used throughout history by people who were not considered, you know, valuable enough to record their information. So you would have women servants, enslaved folks, like a lot of people who maybe didn't have access to either literacy or to, or were, you know, considered important enough to write about a lot of their techniques and everything would be lost. And so, you know, a lot of when I think about community building too, is like, we're like, we're the anchor point between the past and future. Like we get to decide what's coming from the past and staying with us and coming to the future. And so we are at a critical decision point of saying, I want these culinary traditions to survive. Well, it's on me to write down how grandma does this. It's on me to do whatever, like, I'm the one that gets to pick. So that's an, a, a whole soapbox I can go on, but I'll <laughs> leave it there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, we love a
5: soapbox.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so we have a lot more ground we want to cover in this conversation. But first, we have a quick break forward from our sponsor.
0: And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy
1: Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
2: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip
0: back. Thank you, sponsor. And speaking about these communities, you know, like, like so much about fermentation is so incredibly specific to, um, to the person who's working with it and the place where they're working and, um, and the, the traditions that have been handed down to them. But there are uh, as we were talking about earlier, so many practices or tropes that endure across cultures, um, in doing this research, did you find any examples of that, that really surprised or fascinated you?
4: I mean, one thing that I found was very interesting. Um, I'm not sure I would say surprising, but it was, I found it really fascinating. Um, was that a lot of different cultures? You know, like we talked about, um, or like you just said, rather, our specific fermentation practices. You know, are are specific to us um, in a lot of ways. You know, the way that I'm going to make sauerkraut is probably slightly different than the way you might, and the place where I live might make it taste a little bit different than the place that you live. But yeah, I mean, as far as kind of the cultural significance of things, you know, one thing that I found very interesting. As I was doing my research, was uh, alcohol and kind of the role that, like, we um, we assigned alcohol in different cultures as being, you know, something that was like gifted to us from by the gods and was like a gift that gave us like knowledge and inspiration and like all of these things that like make us feel really good, like it does when we have a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> <And, like,
0: laughs>
4: um, yeah, you know, it was very, you know, it, that that was interesting because, of course, like, you know, I mean, alcohol. Like ethanol is intoxicating wherever you are. So like, I guess it
0: makes sense. Okay. Do you, um, do you have any, uh, let's, let's say that someone is totally new to this entire conversation and uh, they are similarly inspired, um, drink responsibly, but similarly inspired. Um, uh, Do you, uh, is there like a, like a good ferment for folks to start to experiment with?
4: I mean, honestly, I think just, like, you know, something simple like sauerkraut is a really good, good kind of starter, starter one, you know, I'll have, I'll have people ask, like, oh, I've never made ferments before, I want to make, like, vinegar, I want to make fish sauce, or I want to whatever, and, like, those are also really easy, but something like sauerkraut is, like, a one-step process, you Mm kind of just, like, you make it, you put it in the jar, you check the jar, you make sure it's, you know, doing its thing, and then you have sauerkraut. And the nice thing about <laughs> vegetables is, like, if it smells like fermented vegetables, like, if it smells like sauerkraut, it's sauerkraut. Like, you don't have to worry about, like, right. oh, is is my sauerkraut going to kill me? Like, if it's got, like, red mold or something on it, like, yeah, don't eat that. But, like, <laughs> uh, if it just uh-huh. looks like normal sauerkraut and smells like sauerkraut, like, it's, you know, it's very safe and fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite... Project that you've got going right now.
4: I'm trying to think. I have about a hundred things fermenting right now. Oh my now. goodness! And and you're not supposed <laughs> to
0: have favorites, I know. But I know. You know. I know.
4: That's um, right. I'm in the other room. Maybe they can't hear me. Uh, <laughs> so there's this interesting thing that um, uh, one of my friends posted about about a month ago that I am trying, which is using sourdough discard. Um, as the base of brine to ferment cauliflower. Um, and yeah, so it's like this really nice, like sour, tasty cauliflower. I'm, I'm enjoying that. Um, you know, it's the time of year where I make a lot of vinegar. I have a lot of, you know, apples and stuff. And so I tend to make enough cider vinegar to last me for the year, which is a lot mm-hmm. of cider vinegar. Um, <laughs> and, so, and I always end up having to buy some around about June because I'll be like, it turns out like, all of those gallons of vinegar
0: weren't enough. <laughs> Oops. Oops, I cooked too much. Thanks. Yeah, yep. too much. Um, <laughs> uh, do you have like like a white whale of fermentation? Do you have something that you've been like wanting to do and it's never quite gotten right, or that like you haven't wanted to try yet because it just hasn't like come together in the right way?
4: so i've made i've made like shorter term meat ferments like the the only meat recipe i have um in the book is for a thai uh a thai pork sausage that's Mm -hmm. like a sour sausage that's like fermented like a few days like it's not you know it's not a very long ferment but i've never done like a really long aged like salami sort of situation um I've watched other people do that. I've like helped other people make it and then left and not experience the final product. But like, I've never, like I've never yeah. actually made it start to finish. And yeah, I think that would be fun.
0: Oh yeah. Oh goodness. Mm. Mm. Now I'm thinking I'm so of when hungry. we, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Oh, and I'm thinking of, of mm-hmm. that that interview we got to go do at um Holman and Finch and they talked us a little bit through their their house ferment program and oh, nice. everything that they do in that cabinet. I was just like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um but yes. yeah, uh, I guess um speaking speaking of the future, uh, what what else what else does the future hold for you? Are, are there any other projects you've got coming up that you can talk with us about or um uh, just just research you're psyched about?
4: Well, I'm doing, um, I'm actually working on another book proposal right now, which I can't talk about, but okay. I hope, I hope will be nice. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and will I mean, I hope that it, like, comes to fruition and, and that, yes. you know, the publisher wants it and all, you know, all the good things. Um, yeah, I mean, right now I'm writing a lot of articles. I'm mostly... I'm really enjoying kind of diving into my newsletter and playing with like different formats and thinking about food and like different angles. Um, I have an interview series in there, um, as you both know, <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> and, and having been part of it um, that I, you know, where I talk with different folks connected to food in various ways. Um, so I've been doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I kind of have these big longer term dreams of like, I would really love to like, have kind of Sander Cat style fermentation residencies, but like, also with like, you know, creative writing, art sort of like stuff involved too. Um
0: Yeah, yeah, tie it so, all in, right? Yeah.
4: yeah, I feel like that would be very fun. Um, yeah, I don't know, like, we'll see, like, I'm just writing and enjoying things right now. So. <laughs>
0: No, that's an amazing, that's an amazing place to be. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, so, so, uh, the book that we've been talking largely about today is again called Our Fermented Lives, A History, um, subtitle, How Fermented Foods Have Shaped Cultures and Communities. Um, but, uh, but where else can people find you?
4: So, um, on social, I'm at Bookish Julia and Root Kitchens and, if they want to read my newsletter at uh, rootkitchens.substack.com.
0: Heck yeah. Yes. Yay.
1: Yes, do it, listeners. It's <laughs> such a good book. And if you like this show, you will like this book. Yes. Think, uh, like everything yeah. Julia's about. It's it's so
0: it's so nerdy and funny and thoughtful and like and sweet and it's just Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's I I, I'm not buttering you up because you're looking at me on a video call it's uh (laughs) it's it's really it's really quite enjoyable so thank you thank Thank you you for for making this this beautiful weird thing
1: (laughs) yes you're
4: welcome
0: (laughs) and thank you for
1: being here Mm -hmm. Uh, always a pleasure to have you I look forward to hopefully meeting in person and maybe trying some fermented yes. foods. Ooh, yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yes. It's always a great, great part of in a. Person, but it's been a long time. It has
4: been. Yeah. We definitely are overdue for an, an in person <laughs> mm-hmm. meetup.
0: Sure. And it is always yes. like a lovely, like selfish uh, part of a good Julia visit. I'm just like, oh man, she's going to give us something weird. It's going to yeah. be so good.
1: The <laughs> refrigerator is like amazing.
0: <laughs> Every time I'm like, oh wow. <laughs> it's a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a lot going on. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you again for being here. Mm -hmm. Um, Listeners, go check Julie out uh, if you haven't already. Uh, And you can contact
0: us if you would like. Our email is hello at saberpot.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and that other one, Twitter, uh, at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid
1: erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico.
1: Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and
0: Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five star experiences to local favorites.
1: No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuerto rico.com.
3: The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God.